going to title this series, Living in Light of the End. Uh, we'll probably be here uh, in Ecclesiastes for the rest, rest of the semester, and we're excited to see, even in an Old Testament book, how Christ and God's fulfillment of his promise is even seen throughout an Old Testament book. I'm going to begin by reading in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse number 1, the scripture declares, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does a man gain by the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place to where the streams flow, there they will flow again. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been said is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there, a, is there a thing of which is said, see, this is new? It has already been, or been already, in the ages before us, and there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. Uh, so just for um, a few moments this morning, I want to begin our series, Living in Light of the End. Let me pray for us. Lord, we, we truly believe that when your word is preached, your voice is heard. Lord, as we begin this new series, I'm simply asking that you empower me to faithfully preach your word. God, we are asking for the privilege of hearing your voice. Allow us, God, to be in a position, God, where we are transformed by your truth. Father, we know that this world is trying to mold us and shape us, but God, we confess that the change we need, that the transformation we need can only be found in you. So Lord, as we begin this book, we pray that you would speak boldly to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. Amen. Uh, there is a true story told about a relationship that was formed between a sociologist and a single mother from the Bronx, New York. The sociologist was named Jonathan Kozel, and he regularly met with a single mother by the name of Mrs. Washington and her son, David. At the time, they were living at a homeless shelter in New York. Mrs. Washington was dying, and each time Kozel uh, came for a visit, she was visibly weaker. Kozel loved to visit Mrs. Washington because she was a great storyteller. And while she would certainly tell uh, many funny stories and some lighthearted stories, Kozel was most interested in some of the hard stories that she would tell from her life. She told uh, stories about growing up in poverty. She told stories about injustice. She told stories about uh, having to deal with drugs. She told stories about violence. And Mrs. Washington even told stories about uh, children who were born with AIDS. She told stories about uh, kids who were shot and murdered on the street. She told one story in particular that stood out to him about a young man who was standing on the street corner and was hit by a stray bullet and was, ended up being paralyzed. She told him about all these wonderful things and also all of these very sad things. 
And while Koza was often shocked by the rawness of her stories, he was even more shocked by her commitment to the Lord. Even in the midst of her story, she would often reflect on God's story. She would often get to a place where she would make statements like, I'm amazed at how powerful God is. In one meeting, Koza responded to her comments by saying, sure, yes, God must be wise. He must be powerful. I mean, he made animals and trees. He made uh, living organisms. But it sure does seem like God isn't powerful enough to stop evil. It sure does seem like God isn't powerful enough to change people's hearts on the earth. On a subsequent visit, uh, Koza noticed that Mrs. Washington's Bible was opened uh, on her bed, and he asked her the question, uh, Ms. Washington, what verse or what, what Bible passage did you like reading the most? She opened it up and she said, Ecclesiastes is my favorite uh, book of the Bible because Ecclesiastes speaks about what is happening today. I want to pause and say it this way. The reason why we are going to take our time to study the book of Ecclesiastes is because the book of Ecclesiastes will answer many questions that the world is asking. Uh, These are not uh, the typical uh, Sunday school questions, but these questions lie at the heart of a life that is lived in a fallen world. Questions concerning the meaning of life. Uh, Questions concerning uh, why is there suffering and injustice in the world. Questions like, does God really care about me? Um, Questions like, is life worth living? And by studying the book over the next few weeks, we will not only get the opportunity to ask the tough questions, but here's why we're preaching on it. More importantly, we get an opportunity to hear God's response. Uh, We live in a day and time where we can almost discourage people from asking the tough questions. But here's the truth. You can ask God the questions. It is okay for you to ask God tough questions. If anybody has ever asked, told you that you cannot ask tough questions from God on behalf of every minister of the gospel, let me tell you very clearly, you have permission to ask the tough questions. But even in the midst of asking the tough questions, we must settle in our heart that God has the right to answer the question the way he sees fit. So many times we ask people questions, uh, having already determined the answer that we want to get. Uh, When my kids ask me about uh, pulling in a Chick-fil-A, they have already determined the answer that they want. Uh, This past Friday, we were, I was on a date with with my wife. We were over in Gwinnett, and she, uh, her favorite uh, clothing store is Clothes Mentor, and she was notified that there was a closed mentor close to our location. <laughs> and she very humbly and lovingly asked me, babe, do you mind? Do we have enough time to swing by? She said it was so nice and sweet to me. <laughs> but in my heart, I know that she had already concluded. <laughs> she already knew the answer that she wanted to get. I, I say that jokingly because I, I got to share a hard truth here. When we think about a lot of the questions we ask God, we have already concluded what we want to hear from God. It's not that God does not answer the question. It's not that God is offended by your question. A lot of times it is that we are offended by God's answer. As we enter into this, what I call a divine uh, Q&A with God, we must accept the fact that it is okay for God to have a different answer than the one we are expecting. 
And yes, it is 100% okay for you to ask the question, but it is a million trillion times more important that we understand that we must allow God to be God. We must get to a place in our life where we are willing to accept that God's answer is better than the answer that I have decided. So yes, in studying the the book of of Ecclesiastes, we will get uh, the right answers, but I also believe it will help us worship the right God. Uh, Christians, not just, uh, not, well, not just Christians, all of us were created to worship someone or something. All of us participate in worship. We are created for worship, and we've got to make sure we are worshiping the right thing. There are a lot of things that the Lord has given us that are really, really good gifts. My marriage is a phenomenal gift, but it is not something that is to be worshiped. My children are a great gift, but they are not something to be worshipped. My career, my house, uh, my education, all of those are tremendous gifts from the Lord, but none of those things should be in a place in my life where I am worshipping those things. So yes, we get to get the right answers, we get to worship the right God, but also uh, Ecclesiastes is a reminder that we should be delivered from uh, the, indiv- the individualistic culture that we are tempted to live by today. Life is not about you. Life is not about what you want and how you feel. And we got to understand that when we are uh, invited into a relationship with Jesus, we are part of something bigger than ourselves. Now, before we jump into the exposition of the book, we need to consider some background of the text. Uh, Now, there are some who dispute the author of the text, but I would say that the majority of the biblical community, those who we would prescribe to, have concluded that the author of the book of Ecclesiastes is King Solomon. Uh, For those who are unfamiliar with Solomon, he was the son of David and he was the king of Israel. When the book was written, Solomon was in old age, and according to the Bible, he was known as the wisest man in the world, and the wealthiest person who ever lived. Now, after a lifetime of exhaustive research and personal experiences, he comes to a place in his life where he is able to tell us that the single most important lesson that the richest man in the world ever learned and the, the, the wisest man uh, in the world ever learned was that everything is nothing if everything is all there is. I'm going to say it again. He tells us that everything is nothing if, if everything is all there is. In case you doubt Solomon's authority to speak, we should be reminded of what uh, took place in 2 Chronicles 1-7. I want you to go there with me. In that passage, God gave Solomon a significant blessing, one like never before. 2 Chronicles 1-7 says, In that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. God gave Solomon, catch this, a blank check that had already been signed. God says, Solomon, tell me whatever you want. I'm going to give it to you. I know I often talk about God not being like Santa, but here in the text, he says, bring me your one demand and I'm going to give you whatever you ask for. Can, can Can you literally imagine Standing before God and God saying, give me, you you can have whatever you desire. Just tell me what you want. And then when presented with that opportunity, here's how he responded. Verse 8 says, and Solomon said to God, you have shown great and steadfast love to David, my father, and have made me king in in his place 
O Lord, let your word to David, be, uh, David, my father, be now fulfilled. For you have made me a king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Verse 10, give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? What did he ask for? Was it a bigger house? Was it more money? Was it more fame? Was it more power? No, Solomon asked God for wisdom. And God gave him wisdom. God gave him so much wisdom that people all over the world would come and ask him for advice. Now, the, 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 the conflict of his life, and we'll see this in the text, is though Solomon had all the wisdom in the world, he was not willing to follow his own wisdom and advice. His life takes many detours. Um, he got uh, sidetracked uh, by the pursuit of power and prestige and pleasure. But the thing about the book of Ecclesiastes, we even see a redemptive story of how God uses his mistakes and how God uses his bad decisions and how God is able to work all these things together for the good. When we look at, think about the book of Ecclesiastes, we need to understand that the human instrument that God used in the composition of the book is one who tried it all. There's not a person who lived ever with more wealth than Solomon. There was not a person who lived with more wisdom than Solomon. There was not even a man who lived with more women than Solomon. Solomon would be able to say, I've been there, I've done that, I have the t-shirt. <laughs> I, I love Solomon's example because sometimes we can read biblical characters and we kind of feel like they're out of touch. Um, sometimes even in church, I can see people's faces like, T said, this is not applicable to me. This is for the, the, the holy rollers. This is for the people who've never strayed away. This is for the people who've never made a mistake. But I love the, the passage because Solomon gives us a perspective of a person who didn't necessarily have the happily ever after kind of story. The, the book of Ecclesiastes gives us a reminder that life's greatest uh, questions will not be answered uh, from people who've gone to Harvard or who work on Wall Street, who live in Washington, D.C., or who work in Hollywood, California. The, the, the passage that we got to understand is, the, the, the point we got to understand is, God gave him tremendous wisdom, and from his life we're able to see lessons that we can apply to our lives as well. Um, when you think about Solomon, he wrote three books. Uh, he wrote uh, the book of, uh, the Song of Solomon. Uh, Andy wanted me to preach on that this month, but I, I told him I was going to wait. <laughs> Got some kids in the room. <laughs> the second book is the book of Proverbs, and thirdly, the book uh, the thirdly the third book is Ecclesiastes. When you look at the book, there is a tremendous opportunity for all of us to gain wisdom for life. Uh, one of the preachers who I who I follow very closely says uh, speaks about Ecclesiastes. This is what he says that if he could he will require the book of Ecclesiastes to be studied by every student in America. There was a recent student, uh, there was a recent survey that asked 8,000 students from 48 colleges what they considered the most important thing uh, about their life. Uh, the study concluded, was, the study was conducted by John Hopkins and it reported the one answer by a whopping 75% said, that the primary goal was finding purpose and meaning to life. 8,000 students were, were, were asked, what's the most important thing you want to gain? 75% said, I want to find purpose, 
I want to find meaning. I believe that same question was asked uh, for, for people who are outside of college. I really believe that they will ask, that, that many people are asking the same question. What is the meaning of life and how can I find purpose in my life? I, I love this text because it gives us a reminder that fame and fortune and power and silver or sex cannot give me purpose in my life. The things that the world celebrates only give me a headache and bring heartache, but by applying the book of Ecclesiastes, God has given us an opportunity to bypass a lot of pain and suffering in our lives. When you examine your life on a daily basis, you got to be reminded that God is not trying to withhold something from you, but God is trying to bless and protect you. I know so many times we get frustrated because I want the relationship, I want the job, I want the promotion, I want to do things differently, but Solomon's life is one who ha- who's, Solomon's life is a record and a testimony of someone who had it all, who experienced it all, and at the end of his life, he says, the most significant thing that I've obtained in my life is a relationship with God. As we begin uh, the, verse, the first chapter, we have three significant points here. And the first thing we see in verses one through three is, apart from God, there is no point to life. Apart from God, there is no point to life. When you look at some books of the Bible or some passages, it may take a long time for the author to get to the main point. But Ecclesiastes kind of gets out the gate very strongly by Solomon telling us up front that the key to the the passage is understanding uh, this issue of vanity. Verse number one says, this is the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanities of vanities, says the preacher. Vanities of vanities, all is vanity. Uh, Just in case you missed the front door key, he ends the book in uh, chapter 12, verse 8. He says, vanities of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanities. To appreciate what is being communicated in the text, we got to remember that in the Hebrew culture, uh, to repeat oneself was a way of emphasis, right? The same way, um, same way if you, you're texting somebody and you go all caps, right? That's, that's you communicating in your loudest voice possible that you are trying to make a point. When, in the text, when he uh, repeats it several times, it's like all caps. He's trying to get us to see the point. When you look at it, the word vanity is, is, is found five times in the first three verses. But in fact, the word vanity is found over 49 times in the entire book. Solomon, in effect, is telling us that life apart from God is vanity. He is suggesting to us that life apart from God is absolutely meaningless. This word in Hebrew, vanity, it literally means vapor. It's something that disappears quickly and leaves nothing behind. The idea of vanity, it is, it is something that does not satisfy. I mean, how many of us can say that we've had relationships that were marked by vanity because they disappeared quickly and left nothing behind? I mean, how many of us can say we've had plans that were marked by vanity? They disappeared quickly and left nothing behind. How many conversations of vanity have we had where it it disappeared quickly and it left nothing behind? When you think about uh, the issue of vanity, it is is very similar to cotton candy. Uh, Cotton candy has a lot of color. Um, It has a quick, powerful taste, but it has absolutely no substance um, for your life. 
When you look at it, when we think about the issue of vanity, it's an issue of substance. When I think about is my life being lived in a way that God would say is vanity, I've got to ask myself, do I have substance in my life? Do I have a significance by God's standard in my life? When you think about your 2018 or 2019 goals, right? When you think about the plans that you have for this year, uh, what kind of spiritual substance do, do, do those plans have? Look at your past week. We, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. When you, when you look at uh, your, your, your past week and you think about uh, how you have strengthened your heart, like, like was this week a week of vanity, a week of, of, of a lack of substance? Was this, or was this, was this a week where you were able to bring honor and glory to God? Was this a week where your decisions promoted holiness, or was this a week where your decisions exposed your selfishness? In the text, what's being communicated is vanity is living life without God because God brings substance to our life. When God is present in our life, our lives have substance, but when God is absent from our lives, we do not have substance. When you look at it, the point uh, that, that, that the pastor is communicating is that vanity leads to a pointless life. Life as we know it has no meaning apart from God. Do me a favor for a moment. I want you to think about everything that your life um, has acquired. Think about how much money you have. Think about how many uh, things you've purchased. Think about how many degrees you have. Now, think about which one of those things is going to be significant in eternity. And which one of those things is going to be significant apart from God. I love the text because the Bible says, not Thomas says, but the Bible says when you live life apart from God, there is no point to your life. There's a historical figure by the name of Leonard Wolf, who's one of the most popular and successful authors and publishers in England. Uh, he was married to the famous woman Virginia Wolf, and many would call him the epitome of success. And toward the end of his life, this is what he said. I see clearly that I have achieved practically nothing. The world today and the history of human kind during the past five to seven years would be exactly the same if I had been playing ping pong instead of sitting on committees and writing books. I have therefore to make a rather embarrassing confession that I have in a long life ground between 150,000 and 200,000 hours of perfectly useless work. He got to the end of his life, and while the world would say he was a great author, he was a great publisher, he got to the place in his life where he understood because his life had no presence of God in his life, his life was pointless. So first point, apart from God, there is no point to life. But secondly, apart from God, there is no profit to life. Immediately after giving us the key to the book, which is vanity, Solomon also asked a major question of the book. Ecclesiastes 3, uh, 1 verse 3 says, what does man gain by all the toil or labor in which he does under the sun? Uh, to truly catch what is being communicated here, we must focus on the last three words. Last three words are under the sun. This phrase is used about 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. To only see, uh, to, to live life under the sun is communicating that we see things only from, God, from a ground level. It's communicating that we are living life from our earthly point of view. 
This under the sun phrase is communicating that you are living your life without uh, placing God into the equation. We must remember that that we not only have a son, a S-U-N, but we also have a God who rules over the sun. We are not limited from the view to, from the ground because we have the view from above the sun because we have God's word. One of the reasons why we consistently and we are committed to preaching through the scriptures, one of the reasons why we encourage you to get in God's word for yourself is we want you to see life from above the ground view. We want you to see life from God's perspective. Ecclesiastes is important because it is inviting us uh, to move past the weariness of life so that we can see a life that is full of satisfaction and peace because of relationship with God. Only in a God above do we find satisfaction. Only in a God who is above the sun do we find fulfillment and significance in life. The world will tell us, get more money, get more sex, get more power, get more achievement, but only God will satisfy the longings of the heart. One way to gain this divine perspective is to take the things into, uh, to take things that God has given us and be reminded of how God is able to intervene and how God is able to work in every circumstance and situation of my life. When I see life from the earthly perspective, I can get overwhelmed. When I see life from just my perspective, I can I can want to quit. I can, I, can, I can think about having to go to work. I can think about having to raise the kids. I can think about all the bills that are due. When I, when I just see things from my perspective, then I am overwhelmed. But if I ever catch a glimpse of life from God's perspective, that's when I have confidence. That's when I have peace. That's when I'm able to face any trial because I understand that God is with me. Psalm 19 verses 4 through 5 give us great encouragement here. The B portion of verse 4 says, In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. For the psalmist, whenever he saw the sun, it was a reminder of the joy and the strength of the Creator. Psalm 113 verse 3 says, From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The very repetition of God's name being praised is a reminder of who we serve each and every day. Every time the sun rises, it is a reminder of the consistency and the constancy of our God. Psalms 104 verse 3 says, He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters, and he makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. Every part of even, our na- even nature speaks to the glory and greatness of God. One of the historical figures who I read is John, uh, George Washington Carver, and he once said, I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcast station through which God speaks to us every day, every hour, and every moment of our lives if we only tune in and remain tuned in. God gives us so many opportunities to see his goodness and his grace. God allows us to see his, his powerful creations, which should be a reminder that there is one who lives life above the sun. Ecclesiastes 1.4 reminds us, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. It, this is a hard pill to swallow, but 
the, the passage is communicating that all of us will die. Um, the older I get, the more I am more considerate that I am going to die one day. When I was in my 20s, I probably never thought about death. But now that I'm, I'm, I'm in my mid-30s, actually late 30s, anyway, <laughs> I'm starting to, to think about it more, right? I'm starting to consider it more. And no matter if, if 50 people come to my funeral or 50,000 people come to my funeral, people are going to cry. People will hopefully, you know, somebody jump in the casket and, and, t- <laughs> and, and make a big scene. So, Tell y'all I was a great pastor, right? But it's going to be a repass, and people are going to go on with their life. Every one of us. The question I got to ask myself is, as I'm living this life, am I living in such a way that my life is profiting something? Am I living in such a way that my life has some meaning to it? Or am I just living to pass on a bunch of stuff to people who are going to forget about my name? As of late, I have been um, trying to work out more, and we have, a, uh, we have a treadmill at the house, and I've been trying to run on the treadmill um, at least four days a week. And every time um, I get through exercising, the reality of it is I haven't gone anywhere. Just think about it from this perspective. I spend as much time as I can, as much energy as I can. I try to run as long as I possibly can, all while making sure I go absolutely nowhere. That is life without God. We work hard, we put in work, we toil, we struggle, and we don't get anywhere because we are not doing it with God's assistance. So first, apart from God, there is no point. Secondly, apart from God, there is no profit. And thirdly, apart from God, there is no purpose. Instead of reading verse 8 in the ESV, I'm going to read the message version. Brian, don't, don't, don't be upset with me, bro. The message says, everything's boring, utterly boring. No one can find any meaning in it. Boring to the eye, boring to the ear. What was will be again. What happened will happen again. There is nothing new under the sun. We're honest. It is super easy. Uh, to get bored with life. We're so bored that we have to uh, flood our, our visual cortex with images, right? YouTube, Instagram, Netflix. There's also endless uh, sounds, Pandora, Apple Music. And no matter how many accounts you have, Netflix, Hulu, whatever you have, you will never be satisfied by that. Because there's always going to be another show to listen, another show to watch, another song to listen to, another game to play. Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, what has been said, uh, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing in which it said, see, this is new? It has already been, it has been already in the ages before us. Pastor is saying there is nothing new. The, the old saying there, there's an old saying that the more things change, the more things stay the same. Every generation would like to think that uh, they're bringing something new, but it's not the truth, right? When you look at it, yes, there are some 
some fresh discoveries, right? Today we have iPads and iPhones and we have FaceTime. We have a lot of things that are new discoveries, but those are not new created things, right? Those are not things that are original to this earth. They're, these are not things that were, were, were new to this earth. These were things that were just, dis, that, that were just um, developed. When you look at the text and you have this, this statement, there is nothing new under the sun, it's a reminder, once again, of life above the sun. Is there anything new under the sun? No, there's nothing new under the sun. But when you consider what happens above the sun, you see that God is making things new. When you consider how Christ has come, we see that there is an exception to that rule. Has God not made a new covenant through the blood of Jesus? Has God not given us a new Savior who has walked in our shoes and come um, to save us? Is there not newness of life that comes from an empty tomb? Is there not a new heart that comes when we give our life to Jesus? Is there not a new creation that comes when the Holy Spirit enters our life? Does our God in Revelation 21 verse 5 not say, Behold, I make all things new. When you look at the text, when we look at uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the reasons why you and I will benefit from this passage greatly is because all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, we will see that we have a tremendous need for a Savior. I'm so excited about preaching through Ecclesiastes because each week it will give me an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Because each week we will see that we are broken and in need of a Savior. Uh, the great theologian and preacher John Wesley preached through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, and as he was preaching through it, he says this. He says, never before had I so clear a sight, either of its meaning or of its beauty. Neither did I imagine that the, that the several parts of it were so exquisitely uh, connected together, all tending to prove the grand truth that there is no happiness outside of God, and that is why I need Jesus. My brothers and sisters, I want you to remember that in life, when you get frustrated, when you get sad, when you get disappointed, when things are broken and things are falling apart, when you, when you have this mindset of why even bother or why go to work or why have relationships or why even have faith, I want to remind you that that is a reminder that God has given you that you need a Savior. And in reminding you of that, God wants to point you to Jesus. And in pointing you to Jesus, God wants to point you to the place where you can find fulfillment and satisfaction for your soul. Chris, you can come on back up. We have just three very, very simple points of application for today. St. Augustine, church father, was right when he said, he who has God has everything. He who does not have God has nothing. He who has God and everything has no more than he who has God alone. I'm going to say it again. He who has God has everything. He who does not have God has nothing. He who has God and everything has no more than he who has God alone. 
I love the book of Ecclesiastes because it is a book that presents us with a choice. Will we live the life um, kind of on the rat race, on the treadmill, just trying to just work and trying to toil and come to the end of it and see that we've profited nothing? Or will we take God's invitation and will we live in such a way where we are focusing on life with God versus life apart from God. So here are the three points of application. Number one, I want you to know that life can have a point with God. Without God, life has no point, it has no meaning. But with God, there's a point. Secondly, life can have a profit. You can live your life in such a way that it matters. You can live your life in such a way where you are being a blessing to others and you are honoring God with your life. And lastly, life can have a purpose if you are willing to get the answer from the one who created you for the purpose. I I, I would love to um, reinvent myself at times, right? Um, I I played college football and I was blessed with a big, big frame. I play offensive line, right? I, I would have loved to, to go back and be Tom Brady or Sonny Michelle or Todd Gurley. It's not who God created me to be. God created me to push people around, right? <laughs> and, and I got to be willing to accept who God created Thomas Settles to be. And I want to encourage you. That there, there's a reason why you have a fingerprint, right? Your fingerprint is a distinct marker that you are special and you are unique. You are gifted and you are special because God does not want you to be like anyone else. Yes, like we learned in James, God wants to conform us to be more like Christ. Yes, God wants us to be more spiritually mature, but God is not interested in you being more like me and me being more like you. God is interested in making all of us more like Jesus. Man's going to play and sing a little bit, and I'll come back with our benediction. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity. God, as we spend just a few moments responding, God, I ask that you would remind us, Lord, of the life that you've called for us to live. God, help us to see that we have a God who is above the sun. God, help us to move past life under the ground. But help us, God, to see life from your perspective. God, as we prepare this time of worship, God, I pray, God, that you will continue to minister to our hearts, that you will bless this time in Jesus' name.